Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Does the U.S. military con- consider the Taliban an enemy? Uh, we're our focus right now. Uh, the, the the thing we're 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 working against right now is is time and space, and we want to get as many people out of Kabul as we can uh, in as little amount of time as we can. There are no hostile interactions right now between American forces and the Taliban, and, and we want to keep it that way. The communication coming out of the White House has just been all over the place this week. I'd say that John Kirby does a better job than anybody they've got. And, and but he's in an unwinnable situation. Well, there's no good answers for this stuff. That's no. one of the problems you get up there if you're a Jen Psaki or a Joe Biden or whoever. There's no good answers for this. It's a debacle. They're being asked to defend the indefensible in this case. Uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about uh, the the recall election in the most populous state in the union, California, and all sorts of stuff with Lon He Chen, David and Diane Steffi, fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution, director of domestic policy studies at Stanford University. Lon He, how are you? Hey, great to be back with you guys again. You should have run for governor, man. You should have run for governor. <laughs> it's a free for all. Nobody's really po- poking out. I mean, somebody's going to get somebody's going to end up governor of this state with like eighteen percent of the vote. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, you know, because it is such a compressed time frame. I was thinking to myself, you know, in a lot of countries, this is how they do elections. They give you like thirty days or sixty days, and that's it. And you know, in America, we have these big long elections. We talked about this before, right? Where we take years and years to figure out who the president's going to be. And here we have in California, which is, as you guys say, I mean, the biggest state in the country, we very well could have a a new governor within less than a month. And this whole process, the actual process of this election will have been fought over, you know, basically five weeks. And it's it's kind of crazy to think about. But uh, one of the things I do think is absolutely clear as we go on in this cycle is how frustrated people are with what's going on in California. I think there is a real and palpable frustration. This is not some made-up recall. This is not some made-up election. People are genuinely concerned about the future of our state, and I think we're seeing that now. You know, I had uh, an interesting phone call yesterday from a friend who is part of a uh, a certain bureau in Washington, D.C., who said, I'm trying to... I'm trying to convince some uh, my boss that it's worth us really taking a look at the California recall. Um, and we had a conversation. I told him, um, I think it's absolutely possible to look at it as perhaps the crest of the blue wave on the West Coast as people see the chaos uh, Democrat, 100% Democrat rule has unleashed. Do you think there's any validity to that? Absolutely. And I think that is one of the reasons why a lot of Democrats around the country are are deeply concerned about what they see in California because they realize that, you know, in some ways the jig is up, whether it's in California. I mean, New York's a whole different set of problems. But in California and Illinois and states where, where we have seen prolonged periods of one party rule, uh, you know, it, it results in it's something I call policy sclerosis. Right. You sort of have the same kinds of ideas and the same kind of stuff gets tried over and over again, even if it's not working well. And, uh, and I absolutely think that people on the East Coast, people around the country should pay attention. I think the angle that you've presented is absolutely right, which is that there is a great uh, and, and, and deep sense that you can't keep doing the same things, getting poor results, 
and doing them over and over again. I think people in California are recognizing that. I got to believe that Gavin Newsom thought he had an ace in the hole in that a, a relatively popular president, Joe Biden, would come out to the state when it got closer in campaign form. But I don't think Joe Biden's going to be in any position politically to help the guy out. Yeah, no, I don't think Biden is. I certainly don't think Kamala Harris is. I mean, she's the, the uh, apparently by her own uh, uh, declaration, the architect of what's going on in Afghanistan. Right. I mean, she's sort of the point person at the White House, point person, in the administration on this. So, you know, they, they can try to come out here. It's going to feel very tone deaf while we're seeing this debacle before our very eyes. And I do think that it creates a, an interesting political quandary for Gavin Newsom and for his allies. And that is, do you want to have a president whose popularity is cratering right now, an administration whose popularity is cratering because people are, are having real issues with the way the situation in Afghanistan is being handled? Do you want them to come out here in the heat of a recall election where, you know, it, it, it feels like uh, they have mishandled it. The Newsom people have mishandled it from day one. They didn't take it seriously enough. They framed it the wrong way. Now they're trying to take it seriously. But people are just sort of over the politics as usual, I think. Yeah, the whole it's QAnon or it's Trump or whatever. I didn't, yeah, I'm not sure that's Please. flying with anybody. Yeah, nice try. It, it's not going to help old uh, Gavi that half the state's on fire either. I mean, it's just there's a vibe of, of I don't know how, what would I describe it? A feeling of foreboding in the air. It's not going to help him. Well, it's not also because let's not forget Gavin Newsom lied about the percentage of wildfire, uh, the potential wildfire brush that was cleared uh, by the state, right? I mean, I think he overestimated the acreage by, I think it was 600%, if I recall the news reporting correctly. That number may be a little off. But somewhere in that in that range that the governor basically said, oh, look, we've done all this work to clear out all this brush that could potentially cause a, a significant wildfire. And as it turns out, he hasn't invested nearly in much in clearing wildfire and in doing the things that he needs to do in order to ensure that that, you know, we're staying ahead of some of these challenges. And I think that's the issue that, that, that Gavin Newsom has. I think it's the issue that a lot of Democrats who, who run California have, which is that they have had several years to make investments in ensuring that some of the biggest problems we have in this state, whether it's drought, the wildfire situation, infrastructure, uh, homelessness, public safety and crime, all these issues have unfortunately gotten worse under their watch. And they've had the opportunity to make investments to make things better, and they haven't. And now we're seeing the fruits of their labor. And I'll tell you, it's it's not pretty to see. Lon He Chen's online of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University. Jack, do you have more on California, or do you want to uh, get into Afghanistan a little bit? Lon He, as you watch the uh, the events unfolding, and they the the horror has certainly only just begun. Uh, can the Biden administration even possibly bounce back from this? Well, I mean, this is one of those things where, uh, you know, what you're seeing unfold before you, it's very, very difficult to turn your attention away from it because there's a human tragedy element to it where you see people, uh, you know, in my view, people in Afghanistan who have been extremely helpful or have tried to be helpful to our effort there, essentially being abandoned. You have Americans in Afghanistan who are having difficulty getting out. And then you just have the the legacy of 20 years that we've been in Afghanistan, 20 years that we've been trying to fight this fight. And it all feels like it's crumbling away in a matter of of weeks, days and weeks. It's not even months. I mean, recall that when we originally began this pullout, what we were told was that, you know, we thought the Afghan army would be able to hold for 30 or 60 days. 
this is all crumbling before our eyes in a matter of days and weeks. And so that, that, that element of what we see right in front of us and how awful this administration has not only handled it, but the way that they've tried to explain it and then blame others for really what have been strategic miscalculations and failings of the current leadership in Washington, uh, it's going to be tough for them, guys. I think they're really going to have to deal very seriously with this uh, with this issue, not just now, but I think into next year. And I think it's interesting. We haven't had a national security-focused election in some number of years. I wonder if 2022 is the year when more Americans say, you know, we should think carefully about the decisions we're making given the national security implications of elections. Okay, well, two two things on that. One, I didn't know that I would ever see again in my lifetime the press take on their own the way they have with Joe Biden. CNN, MSNBC, the Washington Post, relentless. I mean, relentless. Uh, the Washington Post yesterday had four articles front page that that I thought weren't even completely fair. I mean, all they did was find negative quotes from people. They didn't even offer any other. So, I mean, it was, it was like Trump-like in their attack. So you got that combined with, um, so you got that end of it. But the polling shows people wanted to get out, showed before and after people wanted out. So how big a price do you expect him to pay? Are his approval ratings going to be in the 30s here in a couple of weeks, or will he weather this? No, I mean, I don't think he'll get into the 30s. I think that there, that he has a certain base of support, and I think there is a floor. I don't think it's in the 30s. I think the floor probably is somewhere in the in the 40s. You know, maybe maybe he hits the low 40s, although I I, I tend to think that um, th- there's a lot of people who, even with this, would probably want to give him the benefit of the doubt. What is What is absolutely certain to me, though, is that if you look at the commentary of this administration on, on this particular crisis, yeah, it, it, it's just obvious that they seem in over their head. And that is surprising to me, given that there are a lot of professionals in this administration, people who have been involved in policymaking, been involved in national security specifically for many, many years. And it, it's, it's just baffling to me why the response has been as bad as it's been, not just the policy response, guys. The policy response has been a disaster. But the, but the way that they've talked about the policy no response, kidding. the way that this administration has described it, boy, it's been an absolute debacle for them. Well, the president's going to take one more whack at it later on today. We'll have that for you, whether on the show live or, or Monday. Lonnie Chen, David and Diane, Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution, Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University. Lonnie, thanks for the time. Uh, good to talk to you. Hey, have a great day, guys. Thanks. He he has so much more uh, insight and intelligence on this than I do. There's no comparison, but... I, I got to disagree with him. I, I think the difference in the floor, like Trump had a floor, it seemed, of like the low 40s. He just couldn't mm-hmm. go below that. People didn't vote for Joe Biden. They voted against Trump. He doesn't have a base of people that voted for Joe Biden. I've never wanted to be so wrong in my life or, or never wanted to be wrong so much in my life as I am right now. I think we are going to see an unspeakable tragedy in Afghanistan, and I think his approval ratings will be Nixonian, and his administration will uh, he will he will resign, he will be gone. Right, the combination of it being justified that you know really bad policy happened, and two, there just wasn't there wasn't a support from. Oh, where did I hear that the other day? I read someplace it was really good uh, that in the media there's no. Um, there's no love affair with Joe Biden. There's just, they, they, you know, Barack Obama had his crowd. Trump had his crowd. There isn't a crowd for Joe Biden. 
There was an anti-Trump crowd, but there was not a Joe Biden crowd. We talked about that through the entire election. It's always been true, and it's true today. And so when you have a crisis like this come up, they don't mind attacking him. They were never Joe Biden guys. They just, you know. Well, I hate to be this guy, but we're totally out of time. There is some shocking breaking news out of Afghanistan. We'll bring that to you in moments. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Does the U.S. military con- consider the Taliban an enemy? Uh, we're our focus right now. Uh, the, the the thing we're 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 working against right now is is time and space, and we want to get as many people out of Kabul as we can uh, in as little amount of time as we can. There are no hostile interactions right now between American forces and the Taliban, and we want to keep it that way. You know, I got the clip wrong. I asked for the wrong one, but the other one's very long, so I'll characterize it. It was Brett Baer asking uh, uh, Admiral Kirby, is the spokesperson for the Pentagon, um, about if the British can't get if the British can get out of the airport and go get their people in Kabul, why can't we? And Kirby, who's defending the indefensible, essentially says, "Well, the Taliban's not stopping our people from getting to the airport." Uh, Clarissa Ward just got a report out, retweeted by a friend of Armstrong and Getty Show, Josh Rogan, at the Washington Post, that there has not been a flight leave in eight hours. Oh, boy. And yeah. and we've posted the video of what it looks like at the Kabul airport right now, the the mass of humanity. It's it, something really bad is about to happen to, today. Yeah. It's conceivable that there haven't been any flights for a non-horrible reason, but unlikely. When that cr- I suspect very strongly it's that nobody's getting through. When that crowd breaks through the gate onto the into the completely into the airport, there aren't going to be any flights leaving for a while, um, especially if uh, the Taliban starts shooting. And so, to that whole thing, the Brits are sending in special forces and getting some British citizens out. The French are doing the same thing. Uh, front page Washington Post today. European forces cross Taliban lines for rescues, pressuring Biden to expand efforts. Calling into question the how come other countries can do this, but we're not. And there a sub story on that from the Washington Post, which is pretty ironic given the presidential campaign we had. Uh, Afghanistan's crisis underscores the U.S. shifting place in the world. We should play that British MP on the floor of Parliament, his whole speech. And uh, we'll play that for you this hour. But he gets to the point at, hey, we need to start looking at ourselves and some of our other friends. He basically says, you can't count on the United States anymore to make the right decisions or to do things. We need to start. There's a bunch of us. We can get together. We can make decisions ourselves. And that's pretty hilarious in a tragic comedy sort of way for a guy that's been going around before the election and since saying America's back under Joe Biden. America's back Our standing in the world. Politico had a story two days ago, uh, how uh, Germany in, uh, in particular feels like the United States is not a country you can count on to be competent anymore. Wow. America wow. is not back. Joe Biden. America took a huge step backwards since you've been president in the eyes of uh, in the eyes of other countries it's just the guy that was supposed to be the grown up expert finally you know the the a team is here 
has gone completely the other direction. The president's going to speak later today. We just got this note from Aileen Anonymous. Uh, hello, best friends. That's very sweet of you. Uh, my husband has dementia. Biden reminds me of how my husband started his long journey with dementia. Biden's showing diminishing executive function. His gait reminds me of my husband's at the start. The process can be long, but the results are the same. These dementia alpha male types can fool you for a long time before the obvious becomes apparent. The patient can perform what is known as show timing and can perform well, but only for so long. The uh, dementia person then knows instinctively that they have to retreat before showing their function defects. Um, I have lived with a husband who's slowly progressing into this horrible disease. I know the symptoms like the back of my hand. Well, thanks, Aileen, for that that note. I'm so sorry for what you and your husband are going through, but... Yeah, well, I, I just came across this tweet. The White House could clear up all of the problems that they're having by having Biden hold a normal event with regular press pool access. But they continue to keep the president hidden. It only increases the cause for concern. There's a chance that this is a crisis, not just of what's going on in Afghanistan, but behind the scenes, everybody's scrambling. The president is not OK, and we've got a yes. giant crisis going on. I have virtually no doubt that that's the situation. I think we have an enormous domestic crisis going on right now, and it's becoming more clear. You think they're talking about it, like, openly? Yes. Wow. Within his team, 100%. I guarantee it. Wow. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, The big breaking news right now is CNN's Clarissa Ward reporting that no U.S. flights have taken off in the past eight hours. That ain't good. And uh, we've posted the video of what the crowd looks like at the airport right now. It is just absolutely, it looks like Lollapalooza, the way people are jammed in there. Well, if the... Taliban weren't there just to venture into a crowd like that would be dangerous because people are packed chest to chest trying to move around the perimeter of the airport. Men you have a brutal uh, thuggy force uh, beating people and whipping people and terrorizing them from time to time. Men, women and children in the hot sun. Also this Joe Biden is going to speak in about an hour and a half. And then, according to his schedule, he's headed back to his home in Delaware. Britt Hume retweeted the National Review story, Something is Wrong with the President, and said, There it is, and it's time to face it. What the hell is going on? Why is the during the biggest crisis, not only is, of his presidency, but the biggest crisis of the last many years? It might end up of being of like the last 50 years. Why is the President of the United States hanging out at home? This is very bad. And not taking questions. And it's not like the vice president is... Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney, you know, even like a Lindsey Graham or some well-thought-of governor. I mean, uh, uh, Mike Pence, you know, a a figure like that. It's Kamala Harris. (laughs) At least somebody finds this funny. Anyway, we played part of this for you the other day, but... um, We've heard the whole thing now, and it's it's incredibly compelling. It's a, a British uh, veteran of Afghanistan who is also a legislator in the House of Commons, and he got up to make a speech the other day 
about the manner of the U.S. pullout and more specifically some of the things Joe Biden has said about Afghanistan and uh, their army and their special forces. Uh, This is Tom Tuggenhat of Great Britain. Like many veterans, this last week has been one that has seen me struggle through anger and grief and rage. The feeling abandonment of not just a country, but the sacrifice that my friends made. I've watched good men go into the earth taking with them a part of me and a part of all of us. And this week has torn open some of those wounds. This isn't just about us. The mission in Afghanistan wasn't a British mission, it was a NATO mission. It was a recognition that globalization has changed us all. The phone calls that I am still receiving, the text messages that I've been answering as I've been waiting, putting people in touch, with our people in Afghanistan reminds us that we are connected. We are connected still today. And Afghanistan is not a far country about which we know little. And so it is with great sadness that I now criticize one of them. Because I was never prouder than when I was decorated by the 82nd Airborne after the capture of Musakala. It was a huge privilege a huge privilege to be recognised by such an extraordinary unit in combat. To see their Commander-in-Chief call into question the courage of men I fought with, to claim that they ran, it's shameful. Those who have never fought for the colours they fly should be careful about criticising those who have. Now this is a harsh lesson for all of us. And if we're not careful, it could be a very, very difficult lesson for our allies. But it doesn't need to be. We can set out a vision, clearly articulated, for reinvigorating our European NATO partners to make sure that we are not dependent on a single ally, on the decision of a single leader, but that we can work together with Japan and Australia with France and Germany, with partners large and small, and make sure that we hold the line together. This doesn't need to be defeat, but at the moment, damn well feels like it. Ed David. That's a hell of a thing. Woof. All of you, uh, all the, the never Trumpers out there and the damage he was doing to world opinion, there was never a speech like that from an ally. Well, and to a large extent, as far as NATO goes, Trump's message was, hey, y'all have to be an active partner in this. You have to contribute. You have to build. You have to be strong. You have to spend what you said you're going to spend. We want strong partners, not people dependent on us. Oddly reminiscent of what that gentleman just said. Yeah, the special relationship, they're our closest friend, Great Britain, so he didn't say it perfectly clearly we can't count on the united states but that's obviously what he meant we we can't just let one person or one country decide things for us hey australia japan all of us we can get together and we can do things on our own this isn't lost it's just saying we got to we got to figure this out on our own because biden's lost we can't the united states has just completely effed this up so we we need to uh band together and come up with an answer for this that's that's amazing 
I I am so preoccupied by what America's I, back. Joe Biden said when he was still coherent enough to talk. Yeah, I, I think we are absolutely in the midst of a constitutional crisis. And again, I hope I'm wrong, but I think Biden is no longer capable of executing the office. And I think the Afghanistan situation has exposed that. We've all been in situations in our lives where we didn't quite have our act together, but we could fake it well enough to get through until a crisis came, until the question was asked we couldn't answer. And and I just I think we're at that point. And then I see the pre, the vice president who and I say this not as a, as a partisan or somebody who wants to win an election or anything like this. This is my honest appraisal. I think Kamala Harris's instincts are terrible. I think her just I, 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 I don't like her character. I don't like her soul. I'm not a giant fan of her intelligence. And the idea of her as the commander in chief is as scary for me as some of you were terrified by Trump. Honestly, and the idea that if it turns out Biden has gone sideways and there's no getting him back, the idea that she's in charge. Good God, there. There can't be another explanation, can there, for why Joe Biden stayed at Camp David, left briefly to give a speech and then went back, then went home. He's coming back briefly to give a speech again today. Then he's going back home, taking no questions. Back to his house. Not even calling other world leaders. Probably because he's not in one of his places where he can be on the phone and have a conversation with people without world leaders saying, holy crap. Wow. That, that, that to me seems like a way more likely situation than anything else. Why is he going back home again today? Why is he not being seen at the White House why is the only picture that came out of him during this whole crisis that one where he's alone at that table looking like a frail old man? Because he's a frail old man. Well, you know, and, and Lord knows, and I was pretty open about this, I had plenty of problems with Trump. But the U.S. media, corporate America, the Democratic Party, elements of the Republican Party, all threw in completely the point of chucking their ethics and the rest of it to make sure Biden got elected, no matter what. That was interesting. It's that, worth remembering. Yeah, that was interesting, that email you just read from somebody whose husband has had uh, gone through dementia, and her mentioning, the, she notices the walk, the way he yeah, walks. Gait. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Does anybody else uh, have experience with that or know more about that? And the, the, the other thing I don't know that much about is, so if you're... Uh, suffering from dementia if there's a pressure situation does that does that like intensify does it increase it's or anything like that well i liked her description that often the patient is self-aware enough to realize "Uh oh i'm losing it this is going to go badly i need to retreat um which i think is interesting and by the way just just so this is clear because this is not an act for the radio i i we deeply love this country the best thing for the united states of america would be for joe biden to be in great shape absolutely super sharp he's not going to run again because he's too old kamala harris is a dope she's she'd never win um so i'm not worried as a conservative that you know would start a run of five consecutive democratic terms it's just not going to happen i don't and honestly i don't even care that much um things have gone so crazy but 
I honestly think we have a serious, serious problem. Oh, yeah. There, there's there's no partisan upside to Joe Biden being uh, incapable of carrying out his duties. No, the cost of the country is so enormous that, that any partisan delight is sick. Well, he is coming out and speaking today. Um, I don't know if they actually, as you know, Trump suggested, if they actually do have something they can give him a shot of to get, like get him in game form for these things. I think he's just giving a speech. I don't think he's taking questions. Remember, like the day after nine eleven, when when George Bush was sitting there in a room full of reporters jammed in there taking question after question after question. That's what you do in a crisis when you're the president. You have to. You have to make everybody feel like there's somebody in charge. There's somebody in charge that's on top of this. Okay, I'm all right. That's what That's what leadership is. That's your whole role. How, right. how has Joe Biden not done that at all? Because he can't is the only explanation. You know, plan B is you come out and make a forceful and eloquent speech. Not a self-contradictory and peevish excuse-making speech. I don't know. Yikes, yikes. These are days that are going to be remembered like Watergate. Yeah. Anybody uh, got anything to add or a counter to any of those thoughts? Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. I can't believe he's going back home again. There's got to be a reason they're keeping him away from the White House. If it's not dementia, what else would it be? I can't imagine. For some I reason, they're keeping him crazy. away from the White House. And you can't say, well, you had a planned vacation. This is the biggest crisis in 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. A quick word from our friends, our sponsors at Simply Safe Home Security. It's a great system. It's a simple system. Uh, Chad and Eleanor Lawrence designed it, and they did it because their friend got their house broken into. And, and conventional security systems are so complicated and expensive and, and just annoying in so many ways. They thought, surely we could do better. And they did. Simply Safe wins awards. It's a great system, protect you from fire, burglary, medical emergency, you name it. So, Simply Safe has highly trained security experts ready whenever you need them, whether it's a fire, a burglary, a medical emergency, or just help setting up the system, which will come to you after you go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong, customize it for your home, and order it. It'll come to you, and you'll set it up yourself in about 30 minutes. And again, there's plenty of help through them to get it set up. And as our listeners, you can receive 20% off on your Simply Safe security system and get your first month free when you sign up for, inter- for interactive monitoring service. Just visit simplysafe.com slash Armstrong, customize your system, start protecting your home and your family, your business, your workshop, whatever. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. So how about when we come back, I got the story of people who are working uh, two jobs because when you work for home, you can keep it a secret, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um Oh, half. What was the other story? I don't want to do that one. That sounds that's that's a dark one. We don't need more dark. I had another. Uh, gonna... Can you can you hold, please? Yeah, the the trucks do on Thursday. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm answering phones for a trucking company. <laughs> <laughs> on the side, it's my side hustle. I do it at work. It's especially bold. But uh, <laughs> I man, I love the idea of you're like you're you're a real estate agent and you're uh, working for whatever pharmaceutical company from home. I remember Who the needs other, to know? the other thing I wanted to do is it, it's National Radio Day, um, and there's a poll out about radio listening that made me feel optimistic. And I haven't been that optimistic about radio, but I did an optimistic misplaced poll. optimism. I guarantee. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're back, baby. We're back better than ever. Um, so stay tuned for all that. Armstrong and Getty.
So it's National Radio Day. Uh, whatever that means. I assume it's the anniversary of KDK going on the air, the first radio station. You'd think we would have heard about this. <laughs> of course, I'm always mocking the National Blueberry Day. Which is roughly 100 years ago. It was like 1928, something like that. Yeah, Somebody will look that up. Alex, can you look that up? When did KDK Pittsburgh go on the air, the first commercial radio station? What year was that? But anyway, here's a, here's a little something to make you feel good about radio. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, in just a few moments, we start our daily broadcast. Who listens to radio? That go where you go, medium called radio. Yeah. That's with you every night through the long commuter fight. And in the morning with your toast and mama lady John. What is FM? Good. Who listens to radio? No matter if it's summer, winter, spring, or fall. Yes. Who listens to radio? Oh, Only good riff. I want to be a DJ. You do? Woo! 150 million people. That's all. There you That's go. That's the radio. I think I heard of that. It's called the radio. You hear that? 150 million people. Who nice. listens to podcasts? <laughs> Take them with you wherever you want with no static. Well, anyway, uh, what am I saying? Um, I was looking at this. Uh, poll came out. This is actually pretty good news. It's, it's uh, the percentage of people that have listened to a podcast in the last week or a radio in the last week. And podcasting is obviously up. It went from zero, like, 10 years ago, because nobody was listening to a podcast, to 24% last year listened to a podcast in the last week. One out of four people over the age of 12 listened to a podcast last week. But for radio, it's it used to be dang near 100%. Then it was in the 90s all through the early 2000s. But it's still 83% of people Listen to radio in the last week. How oh, interesting. 83% of people over the age of 12. I'd have gotten that number wrong. I, would have, I, I think I would have underestimated it. Yeah, and and yeah, exactly. And obviously, we're in the business. Another yeah. business that I think Joe is in, because I only know about OnlyFans because Joe told me about it. I do not dig <laughs> pornography. I don't even own a pornograph. But I read a lot. Joe, I assume you have your own site, so you wear, people can request a certain football jersey, and you just wear a football jersey and a jock strap, and then you'll, and you'll wear whatever their favorite team is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The money's pouring in, too. I made $11 in the last six months <laughs> doing that. Or a Miami Dolphins jersey with a jock strap. But uh, so OnlyFans was not supposed to be a porn site, but turned into a porn site, and now they're going to ban pornography. That's the only reason I've ever even heard of it. I'm a little confused by this, and I was reading about it. They're going to ban uh, explicit sexual content. You can still do nudie stuff. I don't know exactly where the line is crossed. Um, and why are they uh, why are they banning it? Uh, partly, I believe, because like uh, what was that other porn site? Porn not that we Hover. not that we need more pornography, but uh, I would I thought that they were that lots of people were making lots of money. I assume, including the company OnlyFans. Yeah, well, uh, like that other big porn site, and it might have been Pornhub. I don't really recall, but that had that scandal where it turns out that the, there was a lot of illegal stuff being run on yeah. there, and their uh, systems for preventing it, reporting it, and or rooting it out were very poor. And my understanding, I read a BBC piece that uh, OnlyFans, their system for, like, uh, illegal porn, 
uh, whether child or otherwise, mm-hmm. was to issue several warnings to the person uh, posting it before it was like taken down or what? Well, if if this you know puts a dent in child pornography, then that's a good thing. But just so will OnlyFans still be popular if they don't have that? Because that's the only I I thought that's all it was. I didn't know it was supposed to be something else. It'll be less popular. I mean, you can still have gals displaying their bodies and the rest of it are dudes. But what's other um, stuff? Do people like do cooking exhibitions or? I read about. <laughs> I can't even say this. Well, then don't. I'm not going to say Then it. don't. Radio. Radio. <laughs> Winter, spring or fall. <laughs> you know, my, my wife has uh, met a gal the other day. It was a jazz singer, and I, I sought out her singing. She's an amazing singer. I wonder if she could teach me how to sing jazz. Scattle and nudie to Bob. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd love to do the crooning thing, but I don't have the pipes for it. Mm. So maybe a little more gravelly uh, Louis Armstrong-ish uh, approach probably be better for me. So you're going to become a jazz singer. That's going to be your second act? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Anybody heard me sing rock and roll, uh, you know I bray like an angry mule. Uh, so that could be tough to translate into jazz. but Cocktail jazz. Nobody plays the mule in jazz. <laughs> Uh, we got clips of the week to kick off our number four and a whole bunch of other stuff. Get the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.